0: And so trying to work with these students and really make sure that they are where they need to be is one of the greatest ways I think we can give back to this community to try and help them in terms of their school. But when I'm working with my second grader and he's in second grade and he should be able to write and hopefully read some of his sight words, but he is having trouble writing the letter O and giving me a letter E. 16 times over, it just breaks my heart because the school system and is, is failing them. And so if he can't get caught up now, he's just going to continuously be behind.
1: You're listening to Seeking Refuge, a podcast about the human story behind refugees. Your host for this week is Aiden Thomason. First off, could you introduce yourself for our listeners?
0: Of course. My name is Alexis Vitak. I am a senior here at the University of South Carolina, um, and I am a BARSC major in the Honors College. What is your BARSC specialty? Um, so, my BARSC is focused on global health and health inequities in developing countries.
1: Focusing on global health, you work with Gamecox Aiding Refugees in Colombia. Could you explain a little bit about that organization and what they do and your role? So, we are a student organization here on campus. We were
0: started in the spring of 2017, and for the past year and a half, um, we've been working with the organization Carolina Survivor Clinic And that Carolina Survivor Clinic organization is a nonprofit here in Columbia, and they provide holistic health care to refugees who have survived torture. So as a student organization, we support them by providing tutors for programs such as English classes um, and high school students who might need tutors all the way down through elementary year students. And then we also help with additional programs such as a community garden, um, women's groups, and then a few of our students are also doing senior thesis projects with them.
1: So how did you get involved with this organization? Um, As a freshman,
0: I heard about their soccer program. It was called Scholastic Soccer Program at the time. Uh, And I used to play soccer in high school, so I was really interested. And then the first time I went, I got to go and meet all of the wonderful kiddos. And I just fell in love with the community and the families. And then from there, I continued trying to get involved and ended up doing an internship with Carolina Survivor Clinic um, the summer before my sophomore year. And then from there, we worked on creating the Gamecocks aiding refugees in Columbia student organization so that we could continue to provide students and get more
1: um, individuals involved from our USC community. How has the how has the program evolved? You kind of touched on that already, but just what have you seen since it's become GARC in, as an organization? Mm-hmm. So before we had GARC, a lot of
0: the volunteers were not as centralized. It was hard to mobilize students from the USC community and getting volunteers to programs and having all of that organized. And we no longer have scholastic soccer program because the, or the leaders of that uh, were med school students and they already went off to residency. So now working with GARC, we've seen the programs through CSC evolve and we've also seen the volunteers who are coming from USC evolve in their roles as well. So now we have the scholastic leadership program and we've been able to support them through GARC. Uh, and then as well, so as, carolina survivor clinic programs have changed our GARC programs on campus have changed as well to support them so now we also do um, we've continued to do food and clothing drives we're looking to do more advocacy events in the spring do more fundraising and always continue growing as an organization and so as we continue to recruit members we're going to continue looking to support how the programs are shifting and changing through carolina survivor clinic so how they change kind of reflects back on us and we support their programs so why are you passionate about helping the refugee community? Uh, as my major stated, I am very interested in global health, and I don't always have the like the needs or the time to be able to go abroad um, and work with global health communities, and so as a freshman, when I learned that there was a global community here in Colombia, I was incredibly passionate about getting involved and learning more about their culture and how their healthcare system is working here in Colombia. And so being able to get involved with the community, um, I got to see a lot of different facets of the community and see them. Not only like in English in English classes and women's group, but also within the infectious disease clinic um, and the Carolina Survivor Clinic where a lot of our patients go. And so being able to work with the head physician and the director of Carolina Survivor Clinic, I was able to see more sides of what global health might look like here on a local basis. And so I really try and encourage volunteers who are interested in doing global health projects abroad. Maybe they're interested in doing mission work abroad and going to Nicaragua or going abroad and helping in that way. Always try and remind them, hey, there's a global community here and we can always help our neighbors nearby. And it's great to go abroad, too, but you can also do both. And so being able to work with our families, too, they're just so kind and so welcoming. All of the families I've met really love the, like working with the volunteers um, and watching our students grow and become better at English. We have a lot of adults who've improved in English and a lot of students who are improving as we're working with them through tutoring is really incredible. Um, so being able to really invest myself in the community and work with all of the families has
1: been really eye-opening. So um, what have you seen as the biggest needs for the refugee community here in Columbia? Oh,
0: man. Um, so there are a lot of needs. Um, I mean, you have everything from the basic needs. you have like housing issues, food, um, insecurity, and those I think are always the biggest concerns. Um, but I mean these concerns also spread few and far between. So for in terms of like health concerns, there's always language barriers in terms of working in the clinic. Dr. Ajiv does his best, but we don't always have um, an individual who can translate the Korean language. And that's a huge issue within the clinic because you have to do a phone in and translate that way. You also have issues in terms of just the daily workings and ins and outs of their lives where they're trying to go to the store and maybe there's a language barrier there. They have to try and figure out how to fill out all of the paperwork. Um, You can imagine all of the junk mail you get, but when you can't read English, you can't sort through that junk mail and figure out which... Letters are things you don't need to read, and so for them, everything that's coming through the mail could possibly be maybe approval for a green card. It could be approval for their citizenship, and so they're looking very quickly through that. And so I think the language barrier and not being able to always read English and figure out like transportation systems if they're taking the tr- if they're taking um, the bus system. I mean, that's I think the language is the hardest thing because if you're in a community and you can't figure out and you can't read English or you can't speak English, that's going to really affect all aspects of your life. Um, And so that I would almost put down there with like basic food and housing um, needs because the English and everything. So that's why we do the English classes with the adults and we really try and help their English to improve. And that's why we've done that in the past. Um, But I mean, in terms of other issues, we have issues in the clinic um, in terms of like providing basic medicine. And I mean, a lot of the times we look at refugees in terms of do they have a job Are they adapting well to the climate? But another thing that Carolina Survivor Clinic does is we focus on the needs of mental health. A lot of these refugees have seen things that I can't even begin to imagine. And so in terms of working with them through that aspect, Dr. Ajeev is very focused on making sure that our refugees and their families are really adapting in terms of mental health. And that always doesn't reflect in the same manner that the United States would say, oh, they're adapting well to the United States. They don't really check in and like check a box that says mental health, good to go. That's not on their, their checklist. And so those are just some of the few needs that come to mind. Um, but the list is really endless. <laughs> um
1: specifically for students that are looking to help refugees, what are some of the biggest ways that you think students can get involved to help address some of these needs? Obviously, there's many. Yes, Um.
0: (laughs) yes. So um, the biggest way right now that I think students can um, get involved and help support our families, we have the Scholastic Leadership Program, um, which is helping students and families with the English needs, like I was just speaking about, um, and then also helping students from elementary through high school. And so what we do is we go once a week to their houses and we work with the family. So you might be paired up with a high school student or you could be paired up with an elementary school student. A lot of our families are... they are Korean refugees from Burma, Myanmar. And the reason we're targeting that um, specific group is because the dropout rates for those individuals is the highest in South Carolina. And so it's even higher than any other eth- ethnicity. And so in that way, this is why um, Dr. Jeev has paired us up with those families to try and help Lower those rates Um, and working with. I work with two families right now, so I go twice a week. um, But we always ask you know, you can always do once a week or whatever your schedule allows. Um, We do try and ask for commitment because of the families. But in terms of helping, you might see right now one of my families we have a wonderful second grader. But when I started working with him, he was at a kindergarten level. Um, and so trying to work with these students and really make sure that they are where they need to be is one of the greatest ways I think we can give back to this community to try and help them in terms of their school and what's going on in terms of like tutoring. And then also English class with the adults, you might have a, an adult in your family who needs help with English. And so we also had a grandfather we were working with in one of my families who was trying to get better at his English so that he could be more involved in the Columbia community and be Better or speak English better on a regular basis with all the assets of his life. Um, So that's one way you can get involved. If you don't have as much of uh, availability for time, we have other ways that you can get involved too. They are opening up, hopefully in the spring, a guidance clinic um, to try and help the refugees sort through green card applications, citizenship applications, uh, Medicaid, Medicare. Those are very, very confusing applications. And so it's not a legal clinic. Um, but it will be operating in a similar kind of stance but we are calling it the Guidance Clinic. So hopefully if you're anyone's looking out there, anyone out there who's looking to be more involved in aspects of law or helping advise people in terms of social work, um, that will be an opportunity in the spring. And then we also have opportunities through our organization, our student organization here on campus um, that are specifically through us. We do food and clothing drives, and then we're also going to continue some advocacy events um, and fundraising opportunities in the spring.
1: So you mentioned the second grader that you work with. uh, And I've heard before from several people that work with refugees that um, the education systems trying to push kids through when they might not be ready is a problem. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's something that's continuing to be a problem or is it improving or can you speak to that? Um, So when I began working with my second grader, um, it was very, I was just
0: so upset. Um, And I ended up actually reaching out to his ESL teacher at school, and we were able to communicate back and forth to be on the same level, and she was just so frustrated. Um, Our student, he was pushed through, as you mentioned, through the school system in his old school. And being in second grade at a kindergarten level is so difficult because you are told, like, you are, sometimes the teachers will just give these students coloring sheet and not have them doing that work that other, the other students are doing. But when I'm working with my second grader and he's in second grade and he should be able to write and hopefully read some of his sight words, but he's having trouble writing the letter O and giving me a letter E 16 times over, it just breaks my heart because the school system and is, is failing them. And so if he can't get caught up now, he's just going to continuously be behind. Um, so right now with our second grader, we are working with, um, I'm working with him once a week. We're trying to really push those sight words, push math, push reading, um, and confirm that he can do it. Um, A lot of the times to these students, when they feel like they can't keep up with the other students, they get a very negative self-image of themselves in the classroom. Um, And so a lot of the times he'll tell me, I can't do this. I can't do this. And so me and his ESL teacher, we've been working so hard on confirming, hey, you can do this. You are smart. You just need to continue trying. And it's not a fact that he's not motivated. It's just that he's somehow fallen through the cracks. Um, And we actually see the same pattern reflected in his brother, who's in first grade, who's at a preschool level. And so we've just been working so, so, so hard with these two young boys um, to try and get them caught up. Um, And so seeing this in this family has really just encouraged me to continue working with the community. Um, because we want these boys to be able to succeed. And if they can't get through these two smaller smaller grades, I just know that they're going to continue having trouble. So that's what we've been targeting. And I think the schools could do a better job um, in terms of providing more tutors and such. But I also know that within speaking with his ESL teacher and I communicate with his teacher through this time in tutoring, that they are caring so much for this boy. Um, So it's not that sometimes the teachers don't care, it's just that I think they're too overworked, overwhelmed, the classroom sizes might be too big, um, and you can only do so much in the span of an hour and a half of tutoring once a week. And so we've also been trying to get the parents more involved and help the parents understand how the United States education system is working so that they can continue to encourage
1: their students when we're not there. Um, So those are some of what we've been seeing. So I'm going to switch subjects just a little bit and I'm going to ask this Mm -hmm. next question in two parts. So the first part is what's on the docket for you in the future while you're still in college in terms of your work with refugees?
0: So my first response to that would be, I'm hoping to do, well, I have already started my senior thesis, um, and it is OBGYN barriers for Congolese refugee women. So I have been working with Dr. Brian Grace. We're still getting all of our interviews and our observations in the clinic set up, but we are hoping to work with these women and identify what barriers in terms of their OBGYN care are there. Um, because we know they're we know they're there, um, but we want to talk to them about how they are viewing and understanding our healthcare system, so that we can hopefully share that information with providers and that we can be better as a system and caring for these women. Um, So sometimes, I mean, if you think about in terms of C-sections, for an example, a lot of these women aren't used to the idea or the concept of a C-section. And so trying to understand how they're viewing that and in terms of how we can communicate better with them is something that we would love to try and help physicians and convey that to physicians. A lot of our women are treated by Dr. Ajeev. Dr. Jeev Bass at the Carolina Survivor clinic, so also helping these women, making sure they're getting the right prenatal care um, because Dr. Ajeeb is uh, the physician for over 400 individuals, all the refugee families, and so trying to also help him in terms of his work and making sure that they're seeing OBGYNs um, and getting that proper prenatal care and making sure they understand how to navigate that
1: system. Um, Obviously, this is a problem since it's your thesis. Mm -hmm. What are some of the biggest obstacles specifically to women uh, getting prenatal care and OBGYN care?
0: Well, hopefully we're going to identify a little bit more in the spring about what we're seeing. Um, But like I said, the C-section in terms of that and making sure that they understand like prenatal vitamins, how that's working, or if they have a high risk pregnancy. Sometimes these women, um, they have a lot of these families are very big. And so as you have more children and as you um, age and you get older, you're pregnancies are going to be more high risk. So making sure that the women are aware of the risks and if they need to be in the hospital rather than have a midwife and deliver at home, which they might be used to to, through their culture, um, I would assume that that would potentially be a problem. Um, We haven't conducted any of our interviews yet. I have seven credit hours in the spring to really dive deep into the project. Um, But one of my friends who was the co-president of GARC last year, um, Melissa Slade, she did her senior thesis project on menstruation barriers for the women. And so being able to talk to her kind of provided a little bit of a base for my project and gave me the idea of how to dive into a different part of the idea and the concepts. And looking at through her work, we were able to find a lot of the ways that women are understanding menstruation and how a lot of these women, some of the barriers that they found were they didn't have the proper menstruation products. Um, So in the refugee camps where they were from, these products were provided free from United Nations, whoever was the nonprofit that was supporting them. But now within the United States, they don't have the money and the finances to afford these products. So they've actually gone backwards in terms of their own sanitary care. Um, And they've been using reusable cloth um, pads instead of using like what we would typically use. Um, They didn't understand what a tampon was. Uh, And so when they would get those in their welcome baskets, they might throw those out. And so trying to help them convey how our culture uses those products and if they would like to use them or if we can help in other ways um, was really interesting to learn about through Melissa's project. Um, And also talking to them too about contraception methods. Sometimes they might not have always had access to those in the past. And so they are very big families. And if they don't want to have another child... How can we help with that? Um, And sometimes our women don't always have control over whether or not they can have another child, just depending upon who their spouse is and what the family dynamic is like. And so, those are other barriers that we've seen within that topic of pregnancy and like menstruation and women's care. And so, we're very interested to see the pregnancy side of things and the obstetric and gynecology side rather than just how they're understanding like the typical daily regular cycle of menstruation and looking more on that side of things.
1: Um, So now for the other half of the question is, what are you looking to do after college? Are you still gonna work with the refugee community or? I know that's a big question. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I am
0: hoping right now, um, I am a pre-med student, so I'm eventually hoping to go to medical school. I'm taking a gap year. Um, Plans are still undecided at the moment. Um, I applied for a Fulbright scholarship, but I won't hear back for the first cut until January and then until April. So I'm still looking into opportunities. You know, if any listeners have any that they know of, please let me know. But I'm really hoping to use my gap year to um, actually work more on my Spanish so that when I go into medical school, I can not only work with um, individuals who are um, in need, but also the Hispanic community. Because that's another project I'm very or another aspect of my life that I'm very. Very interested in working on and improving more so that I can be a culturally competent provider. Um, and so, and then as a physician, I'm hoping to work with um, organizations either like Doctors Without Borders or. Um, the Center for Disease Control, because I'm very interested in infectious disease and working with communities like refugee communities who are vulnerable or working with Hispanic patients in the United States um, who just need help. Because I think a lot of these individuals fall through the system, they fall through the cracks, and there's a lot of institutional discrimination that's occurring that I think we can fix as providers. Um, So that's why I've just really loved getting involved with the local community here, um, because it is a global community that I can work with and really work with locally um and not have to travel abroad yet so I think it's a great great opportunity for
1: anyone else who wants to volunteer um, but that right now is the plans for the future so do you think that the average student at USC has a, an understanding of the refugee community or do you think that there's a lot more learning that needs to happen among us I think it definitely depends upon the student. Um,
0: I know some students are very aware of global issues, but then others of us, we get very, we get stuck in our little bubbles. Um, And so I would love to see more students who are actively engaging and learning more about how we can help refugees in the United States. Um, Recently, President Trump passed an executive order um, that stated we would no longer accept refugees and all the cities of America unless those cities worked with their legislature um, and told through written consent that we would continue to accept refugees. So this was a huge issue in terms of families wanting to be um, reunited with their loved ones. And if the cities don't provide written consent, then they don't have to continue accepting refugees. So something that we've been trying to like help advocate for too is working with local students and working with news stations and making sure that like we're advocating for these issues and that people understand what's at stake. Um, a lot of us at USC, I think a lot of us have access to communicate with our family members, and a lot of our refugees don't always have the means to do that. And so if their families are going to be resettled here, a lot of the times people who are coming over are being reunited with their families, and we would love to, for them to be reunited in the same cities um, and to have the opportunity to be with their family again. And so it also upsets upsets me, and I, I don't know if it upsets others, but um, I know it upsets um, some of our GARC volunteers, but we always want to also encourage the amount of refugees we're accepting, if possible. Um, I know there's always, that's a political issue that everyone has different stances on, um, but we always think that for us, we do have the means and the resources to provide for them. And our number that we're accepting every year is decreasing each year. Um, And so in terms of maybe advocating in terms of that and being aware of what it looks like for the ones we are accepting if we're providing the correct resources for them, if we're not going to be accepting more, we wanna at least make sure that we are providing the correct resources for the ones who are here now. So I know that there's a lot of different stances. There's a lot of different ways to help um, in different capacities. And so making sure that people are aware of those issues um, is always an uphill battle. Um, So, yeah, I definitely think we can learn more um, from each other, from the refugee community, Um, And hopefully, like, encourage the Carolinian creed in our students, which is to discourage bigotry and really learn from individuals from other backgrounds, which I think we really embrace as a student organization here on campus.
1: Well, that's pretty much all of my questions. Do you have any final comments or thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? Um, You know, if you are interested in working with the cutest kiddos
0: and having a great time every week. Um, with our families. You can always reach out to us. We have a email. It is gark at USC at gmail.com or you can always reach out through us, reach out to us through Garnet Gate. Um, we will be at the org fair in the spring. So look out for us if you would like to volunteer.
1: Fantastic. Well, I know I'm considering volunteering with Gark in the spring. So I hope our listeners will consider doing the same. Thank you for sitting down with us, Alexis. Thank you so much, Aiden. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for listening to Seeking Refuge. If you have a story you'd like to share, get in touch with us by sending us an email at seekingrefugepodcast at gmail.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Seeking Refuge Podcast, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our show wouldn't be made possible without the wonderful support from Maxie International House at the University of South Carolina. This is actually the last episode of our first season. Thank you to everyone who has listened to the show thus far. We are so excited to bring you many more episodes in 2020. Happy holidays. See you all next year.